Welcome to a Father's Day edition of the Play It As It Lies podcast. I'm here today with my great co-host, Frank Placco. How did you celebrate your father today? You know, in my opinion, every day is Father's Day. Uh, in the same way that every day is Mother's Day, because parents are the true heroes, and not all heroes wear capes. But uh, in celebration of the specific Father's Day, um, you know, spent some nice time with the pops. We we did some work around the house, uh, ate some nice food. What about you, Rodham? Ah, you know, my dad uh, lit up the grill, had a nice little barbecue. My mom made some barbecue chicken. It was delicious. That's great to hear. You, you definitely have a great set of parents over there. You know, you do too. Uh, though it is, you know, I don't know if it's a tradition in your family, but a tradition in many families across America is to go watch a baseball game on Father's Day. But obviously, due to the COVID pandemic, that has not been an opportunity. But it looks like it might not even be an opportunity until 2021. Reportedly, Rob Manfred has announced that he is losing hope for the NBA for the MLB season to return this year in any capacity. And we were discussing it a little bit before the podcast. But is is this it? End of baseball coming? It's certainly looking that way. Uh, unfortunately, it, it's pretty crazy to to even fathom that you know baseball could just be over. But I'm not really seeing a way that that they were maneuver their way out of this. I mean, baseball was already on a decline in terms of popularity, whereas other sports like the NFL and and the NBA continue to evolve. Baseball just seemed like they were kind of stuck in their ways and. The driving force behind their revenue and their popularity was ticket sales and the in-the-park experience. But without that, I mean, you basically have nothing because not that many people, compared to other sports, watch baseball on TV. And the biggest appeal was playoff baseball, which a lot of people find very, you know, exhilarating or exciting, if you may. But even those numbers even their playoff viewership was on the decline as well so i I don't know what do you think uh well like you've been saying you know baseball has been losing a lot of its luster for the past uh, 20 or 30 years and it it really sounds like a culmination here we can all hope that this is the rebirth of baseball and they'll kind of have to consolidate some of their long-standing traditions to maybe get to a more to get to maybe a more viewable experience on television or maybe more to just draw in a younger crowd but if Rob Manfred and the board of uh, directors at the MLB don't decide to move that way. It really does seem like it's spelling the end of America's pastime. Yeah, I mean, this kind of just feels like a tip of the iceberg moment. And, you know, you can blame it on the pandemic or the and the unique circumstances if you want. But, you know, it feels like this has kind of been boiling and kind of been in the midst for a while now. Uh, it just seems like baseball has been getting left behind by by other sports, like I said, football and basketball, that those leagues have been appealing to younger audiences way more than baseball has been able to. And that's why baseball's median, baseball's average uh, age for their audience is way, way higher than almost any other sport. And sooner or later, that's going to catch up to you. So it seems like that's what's happening. It really does. Uh, Now transitioning here from America's pastime to America's team. The big news of this weekend is, of course, Dak Prescott, the man who will set the NFL on fire, as I predicted multiple times this season, just signed his 
franchise tag tender for $37.7 million, making him the biggest cap hit in NFL history. Frank, we differ very wildly on our opinions of Mr. Dakota Prescott. What do you think? An incredible overpay or just a minor overpay? Um, I mean, we do differ. You love Dak. I I don't love him. I think he's good, not great. I think he's adequate and solid for sure. Um, but this whole time, I thought his contract demands were frankly asinine. I mean, he was turning down long-term contracts of 35, approaching 40 million. And if I'm not mistaken, I think he wanted like 45 million a year or somewhere in that ballpark. Um, I don't think he's going to get that. Um, maybe Jerry Jones will end up, you know, I think they have until July 15th now to reach a long-term deal, but it's felt like this whole time he was going to play out the season on the franchise tender and then they'll just reevaluate at the season's end. But it's hard to say any player in the NFL or any quarterback is worth 37 million, but I don't think that Dak Prescott is the one who's worth that much. Well, obviously, you know, you're saying that with uh, a few players in mind, and uh, I'm assuming here you're talking about Patrick Mahomes, Lamar Jackson, Deshaun Watson, all guys who are nearing the age when they're about to hit that max money contract. What do you think this is going to make for their market? Because obviously in a few years, our Baltimore Ravens are going to have to pay out to keep Lamar on the roster. And with Dak getting 37 with no MVPs or any playoff wins in his bag, it's looking like Mahomes is suddenly a $45 million kind of man. Oh, yeah, he definitely is. And if there was any doubt about that, uh, the fact that he led them to a Super Bowl and he won Super Bowl MVP, uh, that pretty much cemented that he's going to get a hefty raise, a a hefty new contract. And, you know, I think that's going to continue to be the norm. I think we're going to see all these young quarterbacks over the next few years. Uh, We're going to see a lot of zeros is what I'll say. And I'm sure you agree. I 100% agree, and it's all about those stacks on stacks on stacks, and it'll be influencing a lot of their cap hits to hope that those uh, players can lead them into the future. But deciding all that always starts in free agency, and and due to this new NBA season, we're going to see a few teams go into free agency a little early. With 22 teams being invited to Orlando, that means eight teams get to stay at home. We've taken the bottom teams and decided how we think their free agencies should go, starting with the draft, going on to free agency within their own teams, and then maybe looking out for a few other players we should get. And for the certain teams that do need it, we can discuss who maybe should take up the reins as their new head coaches, because someone's got to take the reins for the New York Knickerbockers, and uh, let me get it to you right now, it should not be Fitzdale. Take that for data, though. Take that for data. Never forget that speech. Never forget that Grizzlies team. God, I loved them. All right. We're going to get here started with probably the easiest team of, and that's going to be the Golden State Warriors. Now, this is an easy franchise rebuild because we're talking about a team that was in the finals last year. Two years ago, they were the greatest team to ever play basketball. And now we're talking about them with a guaranteed top four pick in this uh, draft. Almost no free agents. A great head coach in place. A unanimous MVP. I wish I could be Joe LaCobe right now and be the GM of this team. But, uh, you know, we'll, we're starting off here with a guaranteed top four pick in the draft. As it so happens, 
we're just going to assume they get that number one. And Frank, with the number one overall pick in the NBA 2020 draft, the Golden State Warriors select James Wiseman. Yeah, I mean, this would definitely be a wise pick. And like you said, the Warriors are in a pretty unique situation compared to these other bottom feeders um, because they're pretty much shut and they can draft not necessarily, they don't necessarily need to pick um, someone like Lamella Ball or, or one of the high upside guys. I mean, James Wiseman for a while there was considered to be the consensus number one pick. And I think he's kind of fallen out of favor a little bit, uh, at least with some experts, but he's still a, a great all around prospect. And I think the only thing that's really hurt him is the whole fiasco uh, that he had with NCAA and at Memphis, he really wasn't able to showcase his skills because his season was cut short before it even began. So, and you know, now during the whole pandemic and everything, it's probably been a little bit difficult for teams to scout him, but the Warriors definitely have a great scouting department and James Wiseman fits a big need for them at the center position. And that's definitely the biggest need on the roster. Um, probably the only need really. And I think as a rebounding and defensive presence uh, under the basket, and I think he's pretty athletic as well um, for a seven footer, I think he'd be a great fit alongside uh, Draymond, Steph and Clay. Yeah. I uh, 100% agree. And as we add Mr. Wiseman onto the team from Memphis, um, it's going to add to what is already a stacked roster that, like I mentioned, has no free agents. So currently on this roster, we are looking at Jordan Poole, Damian Lee, Draymond Green, Eric Pascal, Marquise Chris, Chris Looney, Andrew Wiggins, Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, Mike Mulder, Kevin Bowman, Alan Smaljic, shout out to the boy, and Juan Toscano Anderson. Of those players, we are not, we listed over 15 players, which of course means that if the Warriors plan on getting a new free agencies this season, they are going to have to cut some players. You hate to say it, but the reason the Warriors are at the bottom of this feed, the reason the Warriors are here at the bottom of the league is because some of these guys really weren't cut out to play here. They just got a lot of playing time because of the injuries to Curry, Clay, and Draymond. And mm-hmm. so, I hate to say it, goodbye to guys like Kai Bowman, who had a serviceable season for them. Do you do you hate to say goodbye to Kai Bowman? Ah, no, I don't, because in his replacement, we have a few recommendations for who the Warriors should get. And that all starts with essentially Kai, Mo- Kai Bowman like 5.0, and that is Marco Bellinelli. The Warriors' trademark free agent for the past six years has been guys like Marco Bellinelli who have the playoff experience, we have a lot of time and a lot of patience and could willingly come off the bench for some of the greatest stars in basketball. And Marco Bellinelli has that experience already, having been played on the 2014 Spurs, having already won a finals, been a longtime Padawan of the great pop. He, he would be a fantastic replacement, especially putting him under the tutelage of Steve Kerr and allowing him the free reign that anyone on the three-point line gets in this, in this Curry Warriors offense. I think mm-hmm. he's a fantastic fit. Other players we might think about, Frank? Yeah, well, Marco Bellinelli, definitely a great fit. Uh, in that same mold, kind of the veteran presence, what about a guy like Jeff Green? Uh, Jeff Green has played for numerous teams, uh, especially over the past few years. He's kind of bounced around the league at this point. Um, it, I thought he was going to find a home uh, with the Utah Jazz, but that obviously did not pan out. Uh, as he didn't even make it through the entire season. But I don't think that necessarily had 
to do with Jeff Green declining as a player, uh, more so just to fit in Utah. I still think, you know, he brings a decent amount to the table as a, a versatile three slash four player. Um, he can shoot the three uh, in a pinch to a certain extent, but he's still fairly athletic. Um, and he's he can hold his own on the defensive end as well. So I think, you know, sliding him there off the bench as a versatile forward, someone who can play behind Andrew Wiggins or maybe, you know, play behind Draymond and uh, kind of work in the mix there with Eric Pascal at the power forward position. Uh, I think it definitely makes a lot of sense if Jeff Green wants to add another team to his resume. If he does another player that could potentially be looking for a comeback to the Bay Area would be JaVale McGee, who is already a two-time champion with the Warriors, could potentially be looking to make his way down to the Golden State. Obviously, for any of these three players to make their way, they would have to accept veteran minimums because the Warriors are a little bit about $10 million over the luxury cap at the moment. So they are not really in the market for any of the big name free agents this year. But rumors keep swelling about this Giannis Antetokounmpo to the Warriors next year. So keep your uh, keep your ear to the ground and maybe we'll be hearing more about that for the Warriors. But finally, with the head coach, in place in Steve Kerr. There's not a lot of other replacements we are expecting for the Warriors. So if we were to throw out this lineup of Clay, Curry, Andrew Wiggins, Draymond Green, and finally at the five, James Wiseman. Frank, what do you think the 2021 outlook for the Warriors is? Uh, I think they're definitely back in the playoffs, uh, 100%. Um, it's just going to be – it's hard to project because we haven't seen – Curry, Clay, and Draymond on the floor together in a couple of years now. Um, it, it's just really going to depend on our Curry and Clay, you know, back to one hundred percent. Can they can they rekindle their form? I think they can, but at this point, you know, the West is is just different. The Western Conference is different and better than it was when they were last playing. So I think they're a playoff team. I think they're a borderline top five seed. Um, but I'm not sure how far necessarily this team would go in the playoffs. I mean, it's a good starting lineup, obviously a good head coach, and have the pedigree, but uh, there's just a lot of unknowns, and it's, it's you know, we're just going to have to wait and see. Yeah, especially in that rough-and-tumble Pacific division, even if they get rid of Western, Western and Eastern Conference designations for the playoffs, I think it'll just be hard when you're matching up eight times a season going against Kawhi Leonard and LeBron James, Anthony Davis, Paul George, the whole lot in the Staples Center. It'll mm -hmm. definitely add a lot of weight to their uh, season. I, I definitely agree with you. Top five, top six seed uh, for sure out of the West. Uh, we'll move on here out of the Golden State and somewhere a little less sunshine, a little bit more cold where the Wolfpack lies and Ryan Saunders is the head coach. Yes, we're talking about the Minnesota Timberwolves, who, thanks to their final standing of 19 and 45, will be receiving a guaranteed top five pick here with James Weidman already off the board and them looking like they're going to need another big man to slide in the number two overall pick in the Play It As Lies podcast NBA draft is going to be... Onyeka Okongwu. Uh, that's a mouthful. You know, that's, that's definitely a tongue twister. But great player, good prospect, and definitely makes sense here in Minnesota. Rotom, can you explain why Mr. Okongwu would be a good fit up north? Yeah, so anyone who's seen uh, Okongwu play this season definitely would know that one of his biggest things is he is a defensive 
Farik down in the paint. He will move from one side of the paint to the baseline all the way up to the top of the key. He has such fast legs and is such a quick runner. I think he'd be fantastic slotting right next to Carl Anthony Towns there at the four. Um, his height is a big advantage there, especially at 6'9". He played center in college, but I think giving him the opportunity to play a more traditional early 2000s style power forward would really be getting the best out of him, especially with the kind of guy who has a great field goal percentage around the rim. Uh, mm. For any stat heads out there, his efficiency uh, shooting is also fantastic. True shooting is through the roof. Offensive box scores, amazing. He really is an analytics darling that I think would do fantastic next to a 30-a-night scorer like Carl Anthony Towns, not to mention their new point guard in D'Angelo Russell, plus Jared Culliver, who will also be helping him out on the defensive end. I think Okongwu is just phenomenal and would really help set a defensive-lacking team in a new direction. No, I, I mean, that's well said. And there is some precedence um, recent in the NBA with, you know, undersized centers uh, doing quite well. I mean, if you look at Bam Adebayo, and Montrezl Harrell for as examples, but still, I mean, the fact that Okongu has experience playing center, and I mean that just adds to his value, right? Because you could ideally switch him between the four and five if you had to, and that's somebody who can give Carl Anthony Towns kind of a spell or in a short pinch. I mean that gives Ryan Saunders some more options. But the biggest thing, like you mentioned, uh, with this pick would be masking some of the defensive deficiencies of the players around him for as good as d'angelo russell and and cat are on offense uh their defensive issues are pretty well documented and it doesn't seem like that's going to change anytime soon so getting a rangy rim protector like okongu uh certainly makes a lot of sense and they have they're going to have a high pick so why not use it to fill a big need yeah they do and especially the help of that guarantee is great now, that's going to help him slot in at the four, but with a few free agents leaving around the wings that they might have to deal with, they actually have quite a few restricted free agents on top of James Johnson with his player option and Evan Turner, who is an restricted free agent. Jordan McLaughlin, Juancho Hernan Gomez, Malik Beasley, and Kellen Martin are all restricted free agents. And I think two names stick out there for me, and that is Hernan Gomez and Malik Beasley. Um in Malik Beasley, during his time up north, managed to average about 20.7 points per game, a solid five rebounds, and really just managed to spread the floor and really help out that team, giving Carl Anthony Town probably one of his best stretches as the season came to its end. Um, that, to me, that's that's a must resign. The way he was playing in a very Robert Covington-esque role for them with a lot more firepower is definitely a great replacement for Rocco. Um, not to mention what they had to give up for him. It turns into a great uh, upside, and I would hate for them to lose him, especially in that position. What do you What do you think of the other guys between Evan Turner, McLaughlin, Hernan Gomez, and James Johnson? Yeah, I mean, none of those guys are, are necessarily uh, extremely attractive options to re-sign. Um, of that group, I definitely would probably say, you know, Juan Hernan Gomez would probably be uh, the biggest priority. I don't necessarily think he's going to demand a lot of money at all. And he's still pretty young. I mean, he's he's only 24 years old. Um, he gives you some versatility at the four position. Also can slide over to the five, potentially to the three in a pinch as well. Uh, it's 6'9", 214 pounds. Um, not necessarily, doesn't necessarily have a defining quality to his game. But when you're talking about players just to fill out their rotation and fill out the depth chart with, 
I mean, you can't ask for all that much. But of that group, uh, I think Juan Hernan Gomez is, is definitely priority number two after re-signing Malik Beasley. All right, with Okongwu and Hernan Gomez and Malik Beasley potentially signed, we can go ahead and assume that they have about $5 million in space. But Malik Beasley really would be the key there to decide whether they have $20 million or the $15 million required of them in cap space. If they were to get Malik Beasley, it would be fantastic. And a target they potentially could get would be Davis Bertans, who may not ask for too much money as he is a very specialized player, really fitting in that 10 to $12 million per year range. Uh, but if they don't, Frank, who is our big name target if they don't manage to bring back Beasley? Well, they can get somebody who doesn't play the same position, but would still be a great fit nonetheless. And that is Danilo Gallinari. Um, he's definitely going to ask for quite a bit of money and deservedly so. I mean, he's he's really performed well this year for the Oklahoma City Thunder. And I think he's always been a little bit underrated throughout his career, but I think he's starting to get the respect he deserves. And we talked about their need at power forward. Even if they were to draft Okongwu, you can still have the presence of someone like Gallinari who can start at the four, allow you to bring Okongwu off the bench, kind of bring him along slower than necessarily throwing him right in the fire in a, uh, a, in a full-time starter role. And if you have a front-court rotation of Carl Anthony Towns, Danilo Gallinari, in Okongwu as your one, two, and three guys in the rotation at the four and five spots, that's that's impressive. That would be that would be a lot of offensive and defensive versatility. And just Gallinari and Cat playing together, I mean, offensively, I don't think there's many front courts that can match up with them. That that would be a struggle defensively for any team. Yeah, a matchup nightmare, not to mention the man feeding them, D'Angelo Russell, will be even more of a pain for those rim protectors that have to spread all the way across the floor thanks to those fantastic shooters and would then have to continue protecting against the ever-dangerous Russell. Now, with the Timberwolves moving on to their head coaching situation, it is going to be the Ryan Saunders show for another year. I honestly might believe that this might be his final test. Uh, you know, the city has a love for him thanks to his dad that helped them reach the playoffs for the first time in franchise history. but you know, the, the shine's a little bit wearing off, and Flip uh, can no longer hold his son in that position. So we will see. But for right now, we have all our faith in Mr. Ryan Saunders. And that is about that on that for the two Washington that didn't make the playoffs. Now, those were about two of the brightest outlooks that you can take. Frank, where do you think the Timberwolves will rank up in the West next year? Even if the scenario that we laid out um, does come to fruition. Let's say they do draft a Kongu and they are able to re-sign Beasley or sign someone like Gallinari or Bertans. I'm I'm not too optimistic about this team, honestly. I think that they could definitely improve upon their 19 wins from this past season. But still, I mean, the Western Conference is just so stacked. And for as good as D'Angelo Russell and Carl Anthony Towns are in terms of talent, I'm not necessarily convinced that they're they're truly winning basketball players. And maybe that sounds a little bit harsh, but I just don't think that they've demonstrated throughout their career thus far that they have what it takes to lead their teams to the postseason on a consistent basis and win games on a consistent basis, really just throughout the regular season, night in and night out. Um, that could obviously change, but I don't see that happening uh, next year, especially because they really don't have the chemistry down yet. Yes, they are best friends, 
but being best friends off the court and actually gelling together on the court are two very different things. So that's something that might take, you know, a year, year and a half, two years to really come to fruition. Yeah, I 100% agree. And I, I don't know if uh, what you're saying is exactly these numbers, but I, I see them as a 9 to 12 kind of team in uh, in the West. Um, but, you know, let me let me ask you again, you know, a 9 to 12 team this year would be a playoff team in a 16 team no conference playoff bracket. If we were to switch no conferences, is this a playoff team in your mind then? Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of it depends on what happens with the other Western Conference teams that would be in that similar range. Like what happens next year with the Pelicans and in the Trailblazers and the Grizzlies. I mean, if the Timberwolves are able to kind of vault themselves to that level and maybe surpass one of those teams ahead of them or even like the Spurs or the Suns, then yeah, I could see them being a low tier playoff team. But at the same time, I can see them missing out in that same scenario. I think I think they're borderline on the fence playoff contender. Maybe next time we will talk about them as a SeaWorld team, but we'll have to see it that as we flip coasts to the dumpster fire that is the majority of the bottom of the East. We're going to start here with a, well, with possibly one of the worst ones, and that is going to be the Detroit Pistons. Now, by the virtue of them finishing just one game less than their fellows in Atlanta, uh, they finished with a 20 and 46 record, putting them as a bottom six team in the NBA because the Hawks played one more game and lost it. So their winning percentage is just slightly less. That is going to put the Pistons as a guaranteed top seven pick. But the way we've drafted so far, it might mean that they luck out with maybe the draft's best prospect. So with the number three overall pick in the play, it is Eliza NBA draft. The Detroit Pistons select. LaMelo Ball, brother of LiAngelo Ball. And to a lesser extent, Lonzo Ball. Uh, this, if this pick does happen, um, I think Pistons fans would be ecstatic, and who could blame them? I mean, not only would Lamelo Ball be a good fit for the Pistons on the court, but really, this is just something they need to energize a fan base that hasn't had anything to be energized about. They need to fill seats, and they need to sell tickets, and they just need kind of a face of the franchise type player to get themselves back on track. And I think that LaMelo Ball obviously is this. He is the draft's premier, you know, celebrity, if you will. He's the most recognizable face in this draft. And I think he's the guy who's going to pop off in terms of popularity and energizing a fan base. So I think in that respect, it certainly makes a lot of sense. But then you look on the court, and I mean, the Pistons, and on the court, I mean, I think it makes sense as well. Yes, the Pistons have Derrick Rose. Yes, they have Langston Galloway. But they also have a lot of free agents, and they just need somebody who can come in and make plays for himself and make plays for others and make plays for others. And I think that LaMelo Ball is that player. I'm glad you mentioned those free agents because one of the biggest upsides about LaMelo Ball is that his per 36 stats are a solid 19.6, 8.7, and 7.9. So a pretty solid guy that could really do it all for a team that is losing every single player on the roster to free agency either this year or next year. So, you know, the, the Pistons really could be on a precipice of an entirely full-tooled rebuild. And with LaMelo Ball at the face of it, I would think that, that this is a great cornerstone to start that rebuild with. Yeah, I mean, if there's any player in this draft you would want to start from scratch with, I think it's LaMelo Ball. And I think that's pretty fair to say. 
100%. So let's see who we're going to arm LaMelo Ball at his side. So like I mentioned, the Pistons have quite a few free agents. Unrestricted-wise, they have John Henson, Brandon Knight, Jordan McRae, Langston Galloway, and their star maker, their star of this season, Christian Wood. In the restricted side, they've got Thon Maker, Lewis King, and Jordan Bone. With a player option, we've got Tony Snell. And with a team option, we've got Svi Mikeluike. Of those guys I listed, could you give me a top three of guys you want to resign? Obviously, you've got Christian Wood and Langston Galloway here, bigger playmakers, but maybe a restricted guy like Louis King might become a better playmaker for them that they could uh, take to the future. Who, how are you ranking these free agents? Yeah, well, I think Christian Wood is definitely priority number one. And I think he was thrust into a much larger role than he or anyone else could have predicted last year. But the numbers speak for themselves. He performed very well. Um, he surprised a lot of people. He averaged 13 points, just around six rebounds, and his player efficiency was very impressive at 23.21. And it's hard to say exactly what his market will be, but when you have a player who emerges on the scene like that um, in his first year with the team, usually that player is re-signed. And I don't see a scenario in which the Pistons don't make a pretty hard push to re-sign. Yeah, after him, I do think they need to sh- to re-sign one of the Wings players that you mentioned, whether it be Tony Snell or Sfi. Uh, not going to try to say his last name or try to finish saying his first name uh, because that would just be embarrassing. But they're weak on the Wings as it is, and losing both their starting shooting guard and small forward from this past year, uh, that's not a recipe for success. And between these two, I would probably say Sfi is probably the better option because he's younger and probably has higher upside. I mean, we know who Tony Snell is at this point in his career. And frankly, there's a reason that he's been on several teams over the past few years. He's not all that great. Um, after these two, I would say probably Langston Galloway. I think that you need a capable ball handler to come off the bench. And Langston Galloway, he's not somebody who's going to rock your socks or take the top off of a offense. But at the same time, he can play the one and he can play the two. And I think he's someone who can bring a little bit of juice to the second unit. So I think he would be a good choice for the third priority in terms of their re-signing. I agree with you entirely. And obviously Wood will be their number one. I agree with you that Sfi is probably up there. But maybe a guy like Thon Maker, maybe for my third one in front of Galloway. Maker Mm -hmm. may not be the biggest name in the NBA. He has quite a fan following across the internet for his size and uh, general demeanor, but he has been picking up a shot as of late and probably will not cost them too much. And with the Pistons having a sizable amount on the salary cap, an estimated $55 million for this free agency, they they might not care enough about re-signing a lot of these players. And when they're fully retooling, I don't see a lot of these players coming back. So I definitely agree with you. Christian Wood is our number one priority for free agency. But with all that money in the bank, they could they could start looking elsewhere. And our uh, first replacement that they probably could bring into free agency to brighten up their season hopes is a, is a very similar option to the one they traded away this season, and that is Hassan Whiteside. And if you're thinking, oh, I can see that fit, it's because you've seen that fit before. Uh, oh, for the last three seasons, you've seen Andre Drummond go out and play the exact same role that Hassan Whiteside has played his entire career. And by paying a pretty minimal amount of money, probably for Hassan Whiteside, um, would be a great option. And using that 55, they could probably out-budget some 
of the more notable teams that will sign for him. I wouldn't be surprised if Hassan Whiteside gets a few offers from smaller teams that are trying to make that playoff push. A New York Nets, perhaps, or a Brooklyn Nets, perhaps, maybe a Bucks team that may be looking for a little bit more big size. I wouldn't be surprised if the Pistons kind of edged them out money-wise, and especially mm-hmm. with time-wise. He would just slot in as their starting center, hopefully next to Christian Wood, get a guy like Blake Griffin to have next to him a little bit. And in our dream scenario, he'd have LaMelo ball at the point. So I, I think definitely a great option for Son Whiteside to go there and just be the board man, just like Andre Drummond was. Yeah. I mean, sometimes there's free agency signings that while you necessarily can't quantify a hundred percent, you can just picture happening. And for me, this definitely feels like one of those. I mean, Hassan Whiteside just feels like a Detroit Piston without even being one. Uh, not even just because he plays almost an identical style of basketball to Andre Drummond. It's just, again, it's hard to it's hard to exactly explain why. It just feels like he's born to play in Detroit. And maybe it's just because the Pistons seem to have a tendency to sign random players that maybe they necessarily don't need, but they sign anyways. And this would be a Pistons move, right? I mean, re-signing Christian Wood to play the center position. And then on top of that, signing Hassan Whiteside to play the same position. But still, I mean, having those two, that would be solid depth. And adding that, Christian Wood can slide over to the power forward position. And as we've seen, uh, Blake Griffin, not the healthiest guy in the world. So there's that as well. Yeah, and that's an added factor. And then our and then our final free agent option for the Pistons is going to be Mr. Tim Hardaway, who played Mr. Tim Hardaway Jr., who played his college ball not too far away in locally Ann Arbor. So, you know, a pretty home guy for the Pistons. Now, Tim Hardaway would provide a lot of what you were talking about with that depth. He's going to be a much more expensive option to bring back a guy like Svee or Snell. Tim Hardaway is a lot more of a luxury, but it's one that the Pistons can afford. And Ask any team that's winning right now in the NBA. You can never have too much shooting. And Tim Hardaway gives you straight-up shooting. Putting him next to a guy like Ball would be fantastic. Spreading the ball for a guy like Christian Wood would be fantastic. I think he would be a guy that is complimentary, would fit right into the Pistons system, which is not having a system at all and just kind of shooting whenever you want. Um, And if Dwayne Casey does manage to reform this Detroit team, he would be a great base block for being a Clay Thompson type next to LaMelo Ball. Yeah, I think that's well said. I mean, he's not the most efficient player in the world, but he's a 40% three-point shooter, and that's pretty much his main appeal, and I think he would fit well. 100% in that Dwayne Casey system, who, much like Ryan Saunders, probably is getting a little more leeway than most average coaches on their job. Uh, And that is, of course, let's not forget, he just two years ago, was the NBA's coach of the year before he got fired for Nick Nurse. So I definitely... It's an evil world. It, it's a hard world, as Andre Drummond has already shown, but I, I don't think the Pistons are going to snake two guys in one season. So I say Dwayne Casey probably keeps his job, much like Ryan Saunders, though. A bad season. Yeah, make her tell that. But we will have to continue moving to a head coachless team in the disgusting state of Ohio. It might be the most rampantly unorganized, disinterested fan base and organization in the NBA since they won their championship 2017, have done essentially nothing but pay Kevin Love obscene amounts of money. Yes, of course, we're talking about the worst team in the East, the 19 and 46 Cleveland Cavaliers. And that record has managed to afford them a solid top five guaranteed pick. And for their pick, in the top five, pick number four in the Play It As Lies NBA draft, the Cleveland Cavaliers were going to select 
they are going to select Mr. Anthony Edwards out of Georgia. Um, if this pick were to happen, this would represent the Cavaliers uh, pretty much totally punting on the idea of them playing defense at all next season. However, uh, there's a lot to be excited about with this pick, and it stems from the offensive potential that would come from a perimeter trio of Colin Sexton, Darius Garland, and Anthony Edwards. Uh, say what you want about Anthony Edwards as an all-around player. Um, maybe he's not the most efficient player in the world. Maybe he's not the greatest defender in the world. Yes, both of those things are true. However, one thing is for certain. He can score the basketball, and he can shoot the basketball. And he can score with the basketball in his hands off the dribble. It would be exciting to watch him play in the Cavaliers' offense alongside Garland and Sexton. Um, he could slot in there at the three. Again, they're not defending anyone. However, no matter really who they pick here, they're not going to be a great defensive team. So, you know, I would I would argue that why not just go all in on offense and just see where it goes. Yeah, it would be a nice experiment for whoever ends up getting the head coaching reins in Cleveland. But that that's going to be a hard task to come up with, especially with all the players that they have for free agency. And as you talked, they're having a lack of defense on the backcourt is going to be an issue with almost all of their major frontcourt players are in free agency this season. Most notably, 12 men, 12, a 12 year man for the Cleveland Cavaliers who has been loyal as a dog to Cleveland. And of course, Andre Drummond, who they just picked up, is on a player option, but has very notably come out to say how he has a strong dislike, is a nice way of phrasing it uh, for the city of Cleveland. Uh, so I doubt that he's picking up that player option, and we're going to continue under the assumption that he will not be picking up that player option. And finally, their third string center, Ante Zizic, who they just picked up from the Los Angeles Lakers, uh, will also be leaving in unrestricted free agency. So between all those, are you prioritizing anyone else there aside from them and Matthew Delavadova and Dean Wade, who are both unrestricted free agents? Anyone there that you're really saying, yeah, let's push the boat, maybe let's pay them to get them back? Uh, to be polite, no. Well, that's real polite of you, and that uh, that kind of helps out for their situation, much like the Pistons would help full restart the team. Uh, the Cavaliers do not have too much going for them in free agency, thanks to the hefty, hefty, hefty contract of Kevin Love, who is taking up a max slot. Um, so they they don't have a lot of money to be working with, and bringing back players like Andre Drummond and like Tristan Thompson might be out of their price range. Uh, so we might have to look elsewhere. And we're going to start here with one of my favorite comeback stories that no one is talking about. A former number three overall pick, and that is Jaleel Okafor, who has very surely and very quietly restarted his career as a starter for the Pelicans. And I think he would be a phenomenal player to add here. If we're swinging and we're saying, hey, we're just playing offense here, Jaleel Okafar is one of the best offensive rebounders in the game outside of, outside of Steven Adams and Rudy Gobert. <laughs> he would really help bring back a lot of those long three balls that he's so excellent at grabbing and just bringing right back out to the three-point line. I think he could cement himself as a great addition to this three-point shooting team. If they could just find someone to play that for, to maybe Draymond Green and play defense all across all five positions, it would be a very good, because Jaleel Okafar, in the same way that the other three guys we've mentioned that would be on the starting lineup, doesn't bring too much defense with him. But 
that offensive rebounding game, generally being a good rebounder, a very tall mm. guy who can shoot from pretty far from the paint, would be a phenomenal ad. And not to mention, the Cavs could probably get him on the cheap and give him a long-term contract as he develops back into a starter for the NBA. Anyone else you're thinking for the Cavs here? Yeah, well, I like the Jaleel, the Jaleel Okafor suggestion. Um, let's say that, you know, the Cavaliers come to their senses and say, okay, maybe we should play a little bit of defense, or maybe we should add players who bring somewhat semblance of defense to the table. Um, if they decide to go that route, another player at the center position they could add is Bismack Biombo. Yes, it may sound crazy to think that a team would want to sign Bismack Biombo, but if you dig deep, Maybe Bismack Biombo can rekindle that magic that he had with the Toronto Raptors just a few seasons ago. If not, it would be a little bit of a flop of a free agent signing. But the Cavaliers are in a position where they can take a chance on a player like Biombo, who at his peak is a great offensive rebounder, a good defensive rebounder, and a adequate shot blocker. In a similar mold, albeit at a different position, we can see them adding someone like Rondé Hollis Jefferson, who's kind of bounced around the league a little bit recently. But with the Brooklyn Nets, he struggled a little bit with injuries. But when he was on the floor, he showed himself to be a Swiss Army knife type of player. Um, if you ask him to do too much with the ball in his hands or as a shooter, then you'll be left wanting more. However, if you can put him in a defined role where he can grab rebounds, play defense, and maybe even create with the ball a little bit in his hands as an underrated passer, then you can get good results. And I think that for a team like the Cavaliers that need depth on the wing, and like we said, need defensive help, uh, taking a flyer on someone like Hollis Jefferson, I think makes sense. Roden, what do you say? I like Hollis Jefferson in, in a very kind of same, like you said, very kind of similar one to Julie Okafor. Taking that flyer is worth it for a team like the Cavs, who, when you're already cementing a lot of your positions on the team, just filling out a rotation with guys who have that upside, who could put points into your system, I, I think that Rondé Hollis Jefferson would be a fantastic ad for whoever takes the Cleveland Cavaliers head coaching job which is probably their biggest position that they're going to have to fill. It doesn't really matter who they draft or who they get in free agency. In the end of the day, whoever's at the end of the bench is going to decide their future. I know we both had a very soft spot in our hearts for John Beeline. Um, mm. but, you know, some, some coaches are just college coaches and some coaches are NBA coaches. And we found out where Beeline stood on that end. But for that matter, we have a few head coaches that we genuinely think could be in position. Obviously the Knicks have been thoroughly in their head coaching change for this week. Talking to guys like uh, Tom Thibodeau, Dave Yeager, they have their man, Mike Miller, uh, and maybe even Mark Jackson was sneaking into their uh, discussions. But of all of the NBA head coaching prospects that are kind of out there right now, which one do you see as being the number one that the Cavaliers should really be looking for? Well, I think it has to be Kenny Atkinson, right? I mean, Kenny Atkinson is, Kenny Atkinson is a guy who, frankly, should not be on this list. I think he ended up being the fall guy for the Nets, but it really didn't make any sense at all. I mean, if you believe the rumors that KD and Kyrie were kind of pushing him out, um, then that really is the only uh, that's really the only reasonable explanation. And even that explanation is not reasonable at all. I mean, Kenny Atkinson, by all accounts, seems to be a, a very solid NBA head coach and. He was kind of there with the upstart with this new look Nets team before Katie and Kyrie came to the mix. 
And he was really squeezing a lot of juice out of a young core and kind of developing players at a pretty impressive rate. I mean, you look at all the guys who, who kind of emerged under his tenure, whether it be Karis Lamert, Joe Harris, and then even someone like D'Angelo Russell, when he was in Brooklyn, he kind of took his game to a new level under Atkinson's tent, under Atkinson's head coaching. And looking at the Cavaliers roster that we just went over, a lot of young players with untapped potential that kind of just need some guidance. And I think that Atkinson, out of all the coaches with experience and without experience, is definitely the best overall option. Um, what do you think? I definitely agree. And I think it's the key words you just said there. It's player development. The most important thing that the Cavaliers could be doing right now is making sure that they're young guys and they have the second youngest team in the NBA at the moment are getting developed to their proper potential. And that's why I think that you might want to look at the king of player development, Greg Popovich, and look at his tree. Notably, Becky Hammond and Will Hardy, who currently are both his top-tier assistant coaches alongside Tim Duncan, um, both of which have different stories. Will Harding was actually given a green light to go interview with other teams, whereas Becky Hammond was actually requested by the Spurs to stay on the roster uh, to prepare for the Orlando team games. So... I'm expecting Becky Hammond to remain with the Spurs as of now, but you keep looking down that Popovich coaching tree and you will find a guy who currently coaches for the Philadelphia 76ers who is Aime Udoka. You might not have heard his name, but you know all about his development. He was the top assistant coach for the Spurs during their 2014 title run and essentially up until 2018 and is very heavily credited with having developed players like Kawhi Leonard, Danny Green, and DeJounte Murray. He don't miss. I mean, you look at some of those Spurs young players that have come out between 2012 and 2018 during Udoka's reign as the player development specialist, and that is a very elite class of players that have left there. And if you can get that kind of development going in such a high level, in such a coordinated way from a person who has the pedigree of a championship not to mention playing under Popovich I think he may Udoka right up there with Kenny Atkinson with player which one I'd rather I think I might still go with Atkinson due to his official head coaching pedigree but if they were to be going out of the box which it seems like they were okay doing by getting beeline maybe Udoka is the better option yeah, I think that's definitely a good point. Um, and, you know, there's also the possibility that a team we hadn't talked about, like the Knicks, if they were to pick up somebody like Atkinson, then the Cavaliers have to look for another option or vice versa. So I think that Udoka uh, definitely would be a, a dark horse candidate. Um, somebody else I would throw out there, another first-year head coaching option, is Jerry Stackhouse. And would the Cavaliers be willing to dip into the college pool again? I'm not sure. After the B-line fiasco, maybe not. But Stackhouse, the head coach for Vanderbilt, has only been at Vanderbilt for a year. And prior to joining Vanderbilt, he was generating buzz as a potential NBA head coach. He said himself that he turned down interviews opportunities with two NBA franchises and opted to take the Vanderbilt job instead. His reasoning for that? I'm not sure. But maybe he could be pride out of the Vanderbilt position, and maybe he wants to dip his feet into the NBA after just one year. The The history of former NBA players uh, being successful coaches, the history of former NBA players being successful at the coaching level is a bit murky, to say the least. But Stackhouse is a guy, I mean, 
Obviously, there's a reason that multiple NBA franchises wanted to interview him for a head coaching position. So maybe they know something that we don't. I mean, I'm a big fan of the stack, Rotom. Are you? Never mind. Let me start that. I'm a big fan of the stack, and I hope he builds a nice big house in Cleveland. Because if he takes the talent he's been building at Vanderbilt, he could stay there for quite a while. And, uh, you know, in the Midwest, you got to hope he's a little more Larry Bird than he is Isaiah Thomas when it comes to head coach. Yeah, hopefully. So I guess the way we would categorize these coaches is you can look at it two ways. If the Cavaliers or Knicks want to go with a coach who has a head coaching experience, I think the rankings here are Kenny Atkinson at number one, Mike Miller at number two, and then who would you put at number three? Would it be like Thibodeau or or Mark Jackson? I love that you put Mike Miller at number two. Just got to say a shout out to him. The Knicks genuinely should consider just keeping him. They had a fantastic run with him as head coach and deserves a better light. If the Knicks do go with a different coach, I think for the Cavs, he should be number two for the list. But if you do keep going, a guy like Dave Yeager, who was a all right coach for the Grizzlies, but then proceeded on to a very successful career um, for the Sacramento Kings. I... I don't know if I'd list him at three. I would definitely rather a guy like Mark Jackson there, but you never really know if Mark Jackson is still in the window of being an NBA head coach. Who who would you put as your number three? Would you rank Thibodeau? Because I, I just don't want to see a Thibs return. Yeah, I think that ship has sailed for Thibodeau. I think that his style, his kind of old school style of playing starters 40 minutes a game that have no business playing that many minutes. Uh, <laughs> cough, cough, Taj Gibson, cough, cough. Um, but yeah, no, I think the Thibodeau ship has sailed. Um, maybe the Knicks are stupid enough to give Thibodeau another shot. Maybe they're not. At number three, though, I like Dave Yorger a decent amount, actually. I think that he kind of got a bad rap with the Kings. I was very surprised when he got fired by them because I think that he was just starting to build something with that core with De'Aaron Fox and Buddy Heald. And, um, I don't think he really got a decent shot there. I think it was kind of surprising to see that happen. Mark Jackson, to me, I think if he was going to return to the NBA head coaching scene, I think it was going to happen by now. It's been almost, what, 10 years? I think it's been 8 to 10 years. And his name is just constantly floated. Anytime there's a there's a head coaching vacancy, Mark Jackson's name is one of the first to come up. But I don't even know if he's gotten an interview, or I don't know if he wants an interview. It seems like he's pretty content with his job at ESPN making puns, making phrases before commercials, such as Mama There Goes That Man, or Stops on a Dime and Gets Two Cents in Change. I think that's his calling card. So I would go Atkinson, Mike Miller, and then Dave Yorger, I suppose. Yeah, and that's obviously good options for the experienced ones. But the other section that we have to talk about is the unexperienced ones. You know, I mentioned, you know, I mentioned Udoka. And uh, also Hammond and Hardy, but you mentioned Stackhouse. So, you know, where, where do you where do you see them stack up? So, I I would put Becky Hammond at number one, and I know it seems like she's not going anywhere. She's going to stay with the Spurs. All signs over the past few years have been pointing to her, frankly, being the here to Greg Popovich one day. However, if we're just looking at the candidates as a whole, you know, which one would you rather have? I think that Becky Hammond is. Number one, in my eyes, I think that not only would it being the team who hires, hires the first female head coach in NBA history, not only would that be groundbreaking, but Becky Hammond, an experienced coach and 
like you said about Yudoka, who I would frankly put at number two for the same reason, they've both had the opportunity to learn under Greg Popovich, and the importance of that cannot be understated. And they're coming from a sound, structural, stable organization in San Antonio. So they can bring those qualities with them wherever they go in the future. And then at number three, the guy I mentioned, Jerry Stackhouse, I think maybe not as attractive as an option as the other two first-year candidates. But still, I mean, Stackhouse, while he would be a little bit of a risk, you know, the reward is definitely there as well. It definitely would be. And uh, it'll be interesting what they choose. But, you know, that that is a good future. We just have to finish up here by talking about where you think these Pistons and Cavs, if they were to take every single bit of our advice, where do you think they rank up? Do you still see them as body feeders next year or maybe move up a little bit up the ladder? I think between the two of them, the Pistons are probably more well positioned to potentially move up the ladder a little bit. I think the Cavaliers have a longer way to go because I don't think that they have the same amount of talent on the roster. And I think that Dwayne Casey has proven that he can, you know, put together a winning roster and bring a team to postseason success. And whoever the Cavaliers hire, you know, there's going to be a transition period, I think. Um, I don't necessarily see either team. For that matter, though, I don't necessarily be see the Pistons being a playoff contender next year, but I do think they could probably sneak into that 9, 10, 11 range in the East. But the Cavs, if they're not last place again next year, I think they're going to be one of the bottom two or three teams in the East. Yeah, it uh, will surprise everyone when the Hornets are just as bad next year. It might just take that crown from the Cavs, but it will be interesting to see how these teams play out. These being the four worst teams in the NBA as it stands, the two worst in each conference. That, uh, that have a lot of time to think while uh, the rest of the NBA is off playing at Disney World. Yeah, and you know, Rotom, I think you and I both envy them being at Disney World right now because uh, that would certainly be quite a bit of fun. Would love to be running. Would love to be riding the mountain as we speak. But uh, here I am with you, having just as much fun. More fun, you could say. More fun. That uh, that. <laughs> debatable but if you're willing to have that debate you can check us out for any more opinions analysis and betting advice at play it pod both on twitter and on instagram where we now have a play pick of the day every single day for soccer fans and at the end of this month we will have a lovely nba addition to it frank if the listeners want to find your advice and your thoughts and your great pictures from when we go to disney world in the future where can they find you I am on Twitter at FrankJP0. And I am at Rodom Kaufman. And that is that for that for this episode of the Play It Is a Lies podcast. We'll be back next week. Or will we?